Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we welcome Chris Giles, the A's chief operating officer who's going to tell us about the team's revolutionary new approach to selling tickets. It's not really selling tickets. They're now offering memberships that come with all sorts of perks, and every package means you have access to all 81 games. He will explain. Then, new A's center fielder and leadoff man Nick Martini tells us, does he really like martinis? And finally, John Shea and I, as always, discuss the state of the A's and Major League Baseball, this time focusing on what the A's did and did not do at the trade deadline. Today on the A's Plus podcast, we welcome in the A's Chief Operating Officer, Chris Giles. Chris, it's a, it's a real pleasure to have a, have you join us, um, especially this week because you guys announced this really interesting new, um, it's not even really a season ticket program. It's something completely new and out of the box. Tell us what you guys are doing with this uh, A's Access Pass. Well, thank you for having me, Susan. Um, A's Access is really a program that we've designed to make our offering more inclusive. Um, we felt like we were doing a you know a good job with folks looking to have that single seat experience. I want to have that seat for a set number of games. Um, but there's a whole nother group out there that's looking for something dramatically different. Um, the whole notion that we would only offer the ability to buy a seat for you know a series of games over and over and have a similar experience each time was just not attractive to them. And we were lucky that we got to do a bunch of market feasibility research around the new ballpark. And so A's access is really designed to be more flexible and to really serve both of those groups. Was there any model or anyone else doing anything like this that you kind of looked at? Um, not within sports, but there's certainly really good kind of access-based business models out there. Um, a gym membership is probably the easiest one that, that people understand. Um, by no means would we consider ourselves a country club-like experience, but from a pure business model standpoint, a country club is a, another very interesting business model that we looked at. Yeah, I've heard people say maybe like the Disneyland Pass kind of thing too. Exactly. We wanted we wanted folks that um, who are members of the program to be able to come when they want to have the freedom. It's like this is our home. If you become a member. This can also be your home. Just come when you want. But to me, the most amazing thing about it is essentially when you join the uh, A's access, you then have access to every game. Is that right? That's 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 a key facet. That's like the cornerstone of what makes our program different. I think one of the things as we continue to talk about this with people that that we want to clarify as well is a membership is not only access, but it also includes a strip of reserve seat tickets that range from 10 to 81 games, and then we've got a bunch of really cool benefits. So the the program that access membership is really those three components all bundled together. Right. It's a it's a really one stop shopping. Now, uh, the benefits look really pretty good. 50% off concessions, I think most people would agree that's a good thing. 25% uh, off merchandise. And what is the, what's the parking perk? Yeah, so the parking perk um, varies based on your level of membership. So 
Um, we have four levels. The top two, just included in their package, get a full season hang tag parking pass. Um, the the other two membership levels get access to ten dollar parking every game. Oh, that's a, that all sounds like an amazing deal. Now, what happens, say, if you um, sell a lot of access memberships and it, you have a big series, um, a lot of crowd expected? What happens if people don't necessarily have reserved seats? Is they are they limited to the treehouse and other uh, standing room areas? You, is it is there a potential of running out of space anywhere? It's a really good question. So when you come, you really have three options so one of the things we've done differently is we've taken um, a bunch of seats that used to be reserved seats in our plaza level adjacent to the treehouse and we've made them general admission so there's about 2,000 of those that's option one you can sit in those seats um, two we have spaces like the treehouse championship plaza shide park tavern that are much more of a social space you can be in any one of those spaces um, and thirdly you can upgrade into a seat and so that's just a capacity of how many single game tickets that we sell so one of the things that that we've been studying with first the ballpark pass and then the treehouse passes when you give people the option to show up at what rate do they show up for what games you saw that we did the free game as well that's another good example of hey well, a lot of people had the ability to come to the free game how many actually showed up and so that's really just math um, and how many single game tickets we offer right so is there math in which you potentially run out of standing room area or is this completely doable do you imagine even if you've got like a you know, a giant series or a Yankee series or, you know, two hot teams facing each other. There's not a scenario because we would just stop selling single game tickets at uh, a certain it's, it's the kind of flexible thing is how many single game tickets do you put on the market? Oh, that so we're sense. going to prioritize access members and their experience. Um, and if that means we're going to sell fewer single game tickets for our biggest series, that actually helps improve the value proposition of the program. How much did the, the free game and then the um, well, two weeks ago with opening up Mount Davis. How much has that helped you uh, as an organization sort of learn maybe some of the things about fans and what they want and what something like this would look like with the, uh, with the A's access? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of things. It's one, listening really well. And so whether it's, you know, Dave's office hours or, you know, the extensive survey research that we do around the new ballpark, we kind of view this as a Petri dish for what we would build there. Um, so we're constantly trying to understand what moves the needle for our fans. Even last year when we took the tarps off, like, you know, supply and demand would say don't take the tarps off. Um, but overwhelmingly our fans said we want that experience. And so kind of our general approach to managing this franchise is let's understand what our fans want and let's do our best to give it to them. Now the Treehouse Pass will still be available, correct? But that is not part of the Access Pass. That's correct. So the Treehouse Pass will still be 149 for the season. It just doesn't come with any of the member benefits. That makes sense. What's been the reaction you've been getting so far from fans? It's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, not only from, you know, initially from our existing members, they're like, well, do I still get my seats? And, you know, the easy the answer to that is yes all your your seat plan that you currently have whether it's you know a full season all the way on down can still be included in the access membership good news is now you can actually give away a few of your tickets still come yourself a lot of people are like you know is that really the case because um, no one's ever done that sort of thing before and we really want to make sure that you as the individual member get your perks what you know regardless of you know what you do with your tickets we do have limits on the number of tickets you can sell on the secondary market um, this isn't a program for brokers per se it's much more focused on you know the, the actual fans and, and making sure that we're taking care of them um, but that's really kind of the the essence of our approach so you could still share your tickets as you would if you have tickets now 
now, but n the perks wouldn't necessarily transfer, or, or would they? Um, so one of the things we're rolling out for the first time is a lot of people actually share their season membership. Whether you have a half season or a full season, you may have two families involved, you may have four different people involved. And what we're doing is we're saying, hey, if you register what we call your share partners, we will extend all of the discount benefits to them. So they get the concessions discount, they get the merchandise discount, they get the parking discount, um, but their credential won't allow them access to the ballpark so that can't be we can't infinitely scale access to the ballpark but we do want to make sure that if you share your plan that it's not just the registered member that gets all the benefits it's all of you who are contributing to that membership that makes sense so one person if there's one ticket one person gets access to all the games, but if they want to share that plan and somebody else wants to go to the games, they can go to the, 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 the actual games they have the ticket for, right? Yes, we're, we're, we're developing some new nomenclature because there's some standard things that, that don't really fit. So we call um, what used to be tickets, you know, a reserved seat plan. So if you have a reserved seat, that is fully transferable. You can give it to your neighbor, you can give it to your share partner. Um, you can sell up to 25% of them on the secondary market. Um, we don't classify you a broker until you kind of cross that threshold. But that part of your membership is completely transferable. The member benefits, namely the access, is not transferable at all. And then those discounts are, if you register your share partners, we'll extend those as well. Man, what really um, interesting kind of things you had to sort through. How, how long did it take to kind of work through all these different angles with this? So we initially developed this as a potential business model for the new ballpark. So it was really focused on, okay, how can we really make sure that as baseball fandom is evolving, that we're rolling out a business model that works for what our fans want. Um, and then it got to the place where this is so fundamentally different than what people are used to, there's gonna be a meaningful learning curve. So we should probably develop an, an alpha version, we call it, that we can roll out in the Coliseum. There's a lot more aspects of the program that um, inside a building that's developed with this model in mind will open up even more facets of the program in the new ballpark as well. So I'm guessing the ballpark passed two years ago and then the treehouse passed, but probably helped in that area, but also helped you guys kind of learn the process yourselves. 100%. And so as we as we began to look at, you know, how do we cater to the fan that wants flexibility, you know, the ballpark pass was version one, the treehouse pass was version two, um, and this is really kind of, okay, now we're going to incorporate this flexibility into our overall member program. Uh, are you hearing from other teams that are interested in maybe doing something similar? A lot of teams have reached out to learn more. I mean, each team has a very different set of, you know, business dynamics that, you know, they you know, that they um, have to deal with. Um, but a lot of teams are interested. And so um, to the extent that this model works for um, other teams, you know, that would be flattering for them to adopt it as well. Now, I, I know that uh, the plans go on sale uh, tomorrow, Friday, um, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, early August. It sounds like there are some benefits to getting uh, the access pass early, correct? Yeah, the key benefit is um, this year we're rolling out a pay-as-we-play option for the playoffs and so the way that that works is most clubs will require you to pay the entire amount up front for all the potential games you may play in the playoffs um, ours is much more if you're an access member you play you pay for wild card and division if we make the championship series you pay for that if we make the world series you pay for that 
Now, th this year has been a really interesting one for this organization with a lot of unusual things. You mentioned the free game. Uh, there was the $10 tickets in Mount Davis the other day. I've been really interested in, in a, a lot of the other things you guys have done around the stadium. Um, one thing was uh, the family um, tickets, which two free kids for every adult ticket Monday through Thursday during the summer, which I thought was phenomenal. And then the, the teacher night with allowing teachers in. Yeah. That, um, what have those kind of um, initiatives been like for you guys to come up with? A lot of these initiatives that you guys have had have really had a um, community sort of uh, thrust to them. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to what we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to accomplish it. Um, the how is the most critical to us. I mean, our key approach to everything is to be as inclusive as possible. Um, that's not only how do we make sure that this experience is designed for the fans and is really about them but also you know with the other teams leaving this market and this community like that's a tremendous opportunity but also a tremendous responsibility and we take that very seriously so we approach running this business as how should the team that is the pillar of this community act and what role should we play within this community and a lot of that is let's take care of this community right i i know that you're planning more family friendly things for next year for the column coliseum what kind of things could we maybe expect uh, at the coliseum for families yeah we're very early on in the development but kind of the premise of like the challenge we've given ourselves is let's develop a space that works for families that don't doesn't force parents to choose between watching the game and giving their kids a great experience. Um, we feel like the experience we have now does that. And so that's really a limitation of our current experience that we feel like we need to address. But imagine a world where you can watch the game um, and also observe your kids playing and having a good time. We want to make sure that it's integrated with the game so that you know we're building baseball fans in the process and it's not just you know a separate jungle gym illustratively in some you know remote part of the building, but much more of an integrated baseball experience for kids and parents as well. So you can keep your eye on on your kids, still keep the keep an eye on the game, and know that your kids are safe and having fun. That would be the goal. That would be the goal. Well, I'm going to be interested to see how that works, <laughs> Chris. Exactly. Well, keep up the good work. Um, it's really really been interesting to watch everything kind of take shape this year. And um, do you have any sort of early ideas on how the the access pass is going to do, or the, is there any way to sort of predict? I mean, based off the inbound call volume, email volume, um, we expect it to be really impactful. Um, we haven't, you know, we stopped short of setting goals for ourselves at this point, but um, at a very high level, it's dramatically increased membership. That's fantastic. How will attendance be figured? Um, will it just be based on number of passes sold overall? Can you count that every day if people aren't necessarily in the ballpark? We're still working with with how we would roll that out. It's important for us to partner with the league on that. I mean, they have. Um, their parameters in terms of how we should report things and we want to make sure that we report things in a way that's not only accurate but consistent with the way they want us to do it. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris Giles. Thank you very much. Today our guest on the Players' Choice segment is A's outfielder Nick Martini, his first year with the organization and now uh, playing some center and also leading off. Nick, um, on this segment we like to talk a little bit about what guys do off the field and I keep looking for golf for all year. There, It used to be everybody played golf on their off days and you're one of the first guys I've run across. So when did you start playing golf? 
Uh, I started playing young. Um, my dad was a golfer in college, so he really tried to steer me towards golf, but it was actually more frustrating than baseball for me, so I kind of gave up, but I, lo I love it a lot. You're from the Chicago area. Can you play year-round there? Or how do you get your golf fix in the off-season? No, you can't. I only got to play a couple months, and then uh, me and my dad and my brother try to go on a trip to play uh, during the winter. Do you play lefty or righty? Lefty. Do you, do you do everything left-handed? No, I actually do a lot of stuff righty. I write righty. I would kick righty. I would bowl righty. Um, I do a lot of stuff righty, too, yeah. Now, do you have a uh, handicap in golf? Do you play enough to have some, sort of a regular handicap? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. My short game needs some work, for sure. <laughs> but uh, I'm getting there. What, what typically are you shooting? Um, shooting, a, I, I can do an 80s, 90s. But, I mean, for not playing a lot, it's not terrible. Yeah, so. that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and do you have any spots that you'd like to get to on maybe some A's off days in Northern California? Um, no, I don't. I don't know a ton of spots yet, but uh, I've been talking to some people. I'm going to try and get out there. Awesome, Pe Pebble Beach, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Okay, I'm a little biased since that's my my home area. Um, now, of course, we all know your last name is Martini. I hear constantly every time you do anything on Twitter, people make jokes about your last name um, or send me Martini emojis, which I always kind of like that. Um, how much do you hear, and has it always been the case? Yeah, it's always been the case, but uh, I think here, since there's more fans, I think I've heard it more. Um, you know, when I got hit by a pitch, people were screaming in Texas if I was shaking and if I was stirred up. Or, But uh, yeah, I think I've heard just about everything, for sure. Yeah. Uh, everybody probably thinks it's the first time that you've ever heard it, right? Yeah, I think they're, they're, they're trying to come up with something clever, but I, I'm pretty sure I've heard them all. Does your whole family get that? Like, is that like when you're a member of a the Martini family? Is that like just the constant joke? Yeah, I think it is for sure. Absolutely. Now, do you enjoy a good Martini yourself? I don't. I actually can't stand them. To be honest, I think they're uh, pretty bad tasting. But uh, it is what it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. All righty. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nick Martini. Absolutely. Thank you. Time for the Shea Hay segment of our podcast, the Shea Plus segment. Uh, John Shea, the Chronicles national beat writer, baseball beat writer, comes in to talk about the A's week. And John, you uh, were lucky enough to be out at the Coliseum on the actual trade deadline day itself. Uh, I was helping monitor from home. Uh, wh what did you make of uh, what the A's did or, uh, as it turns out, did not do on uh, the trade deadline? You know, every time I ask David Forrest or Bob Melvin or anybody else for that matter, you stood pat today. You know, the trade down. Well, they, no, actually, you got to look at Familia. You know, and uh, and I guess they're right. I mean, you can't judge the trade deadline day. You have to trade. You know, judge the entire trade season, which was the month of July, and getting Familia to be an eighth inning guy was is pretty tremendous a proven closer with the Mets and I think those late inning bullpen guys were worked a little bit too heavy and their workload uh, bigger than most for you know usually those guys tend to be one inning specialists uh, the eighth or the ninth and Bob Melvin's been running the Trinan and Trevino out there one plus inning sometimes too so this is a good relief, so you'll have uh, those three guys at the end, and it it really solidifies the bullpen. And because they didn't get any starter, you 
know, they tried. The market was thin, and not many starters went anywhere. You look at the number of relievers, I believe, uh, what, 25 in the month of Jan- uh, July, 25 major league relievers switched uniforms, and you didn't have close to that number on the starting front. So they did the next best thing and get a reliever to make the starts uh, shorter for, for these guys. And, you know, the last three days, of course, we've seen some pretty tremendous uh, performances by the rotation. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it, the Billy Bean said on on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that the they weren't really blown away with the starters market, uh, and you know what? Why kind of move a good prospect or two for really a mediocre answer? I think they feel like really they need more than just one starter. They you know they don't have very much starting pitching depth. Period. Uh, I'm not sure they felt like they were going to be able to fix it there. So the the relief market was the way to go. If they'd gotten Familia, say, on July 31st, everybody would have gone, wow, what a great deal. What they did was they got him two weeks earlier and wound up with a couple extra wins as a result. So, I mean, which way would you rather have it? I think that's maybe you don't have the trade deadline drama day, but you got an extra couple of wins. So I thought that was great. I am a little surprised they did not get another reliever because Bean had had indicated that that might be the way that they would go was add even another reliever. But there's another month left. That's the beautiful thing is, you know, the, the waiver deals... Uh, you know they're a real thing they can happen the A's have done have made waiver deals in the past as have many a team so uh, I think uh, the A's are certainly going to continue looking for starting pitching and you mentioned you're you're exactly right this the starting pitching uh, as flawed as it is the system works for the A's you know they're getting good enough starts uh, for that excellent bullpen to take over. And, you know, as long as they're close, that offense is good enough to compete with anybody. So it's it's kind of a weird formula they have this year, but it's working, and Familia's made it really work even better. Who would have thought the big three is uh, uh, Jackson, Cahill, and Ryan? Uh, but that's, that's what we saw in consecutive games to begin the homestand, was, was Jackson going five and a third, and Cahill going six innings, giving up one, two runs, and, and then Manaya closing it out uh, in the Wednesday matinee, and, and it, it's it's amazing the statistic. I believe mean, twenty three straight starts in which nobody completed seven innings, yeah. and the last guy other than Manaya to do that was in early June. Yeah. So this is not and Chris Bassett who's not here. Rotation. Yeah. Yeah, who's not here? Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's Manaya and then. And if he goes seven eight, wonderful. Uh, and if he if he doesn't, then uh, you know the the, the bullpen's got to work. But really, that should be the bullpen's one day of somewhat rest. But it's not like he goes eight or nine every uh, outing. And and the other guys usually go five or six. So uh, you know, Petit uh, throw him in the mix uh, along with the back end of the uh, bullpen guys, Familia, Trevino, and Trinan. So it, it, it says, okay, there, there's four relievers, and they can go in any piece. Not every day, but here's the thing. If, and I don't know if it's a big if anymore, because uh, I, I think the A's are a better team than Seattle. But uh, if they get to the playoffs, uh, and if, this is a bigger if, they get past, the, whether it's the Yankees or whoever, in the wild card game, uh, unless we keep seeing this and they overtake to, uh, Houston and go right to the division series but one step at a time right yeah. but if, if they get you've got if they a's get fever the wow 
<laughs> if they get the division series, now, now remember the the postseason is totally unlike the regular season. Regular season, I mean, the A's are coming up on a, a, a streak where they're going to play twenty straight days here uh, through uh, early September. In the postseason, you never see that. So technically, you could see if they have any kind of run, you could see these three or four relievers pretty much pitch every game because they're always going to, for the most part, have a day off, sometimes two in between. Yeah. And you never see that in the regular season. Yeah. So in a way, hey, this team is built for the postseason, Susan. Yeah, that's kind of what we saw the last postseason or two. That's kind of the way teams are going throughout baseball. I think the A's are doing it to a much more extreme level during the regular season. Uh, but, yeah, you're exactly right. It used to be, I mean, remember famously, Billy Bean got John Lester in 2014 and Jeff Samarje and to, I guess, <laughs> as it turned out, lesser extent, Jason Hamels to because they felt like we need all the horses we can get in the rotation. And those days, I think, are not are, are gone. And, um, you know, maybe Familia was exactly the move they need. Uh, you know, they've got... Um, Mengden can still come up at some point. They've got Chris Bassett, who's been a good soldier this year and provided a lot of innings. The interesting one everyone always asks about is Jesus Lazardo. I know you saw him at the... Uh, um, in the game before the all-star game and yeah, futures game. the futures game. Thank you. And it's been a long week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I talked to Gil Patterson at length today about Lazardo because he's the A's minor league pitching coordinator. He said, look, you know, he pitched 62 innings last year at the uppermost this year. We really don't want him to go more than 120. That's double his workload from last year. Five more starts at Nashville. He's going to be right at, 120. Now, the A's will have an interesting, you know, if he blows through AAA after he moves up, it's going to be tempting. But look at the A's. They've got four guys already who've had Tommy John surgery this year. I don't think they want to take any risks with Lazardo. But here's something interesting to consider. What if you throw Lazardo also in that bullpen? Limit his innings. Mm -hmm. Limit is sort of his, his exposure, kind of work him in a little bit. Remember, Sonny Gray actually made his A's debut in the bullpen for a weekend series at Pittsburgh. So um, I think that might be, you know, bring him up for September, but don't have him be a starter, have him pitch some innings in the bullpen. He could wind up coming out of the bullpen a la K-Rod um, or, or David Price, for that matter. That could be interesting. Exactly uh, the thought uh, I, I was having Tuesday when I was talking to David Force. K-Rod, a perfect example, the old 2 postseason. He came out of nowhere, just showed up in September, and suddenly he's the, the, the key pitcher in that bullpen as they cruise through the postseason, including a seven-game win over the Giants in the World Series. Who is this guy? Well, then he you know, eventually evolved into quite a closer. And I was asking Forrest, David Forrest, I said, well, what about Luzardo coming up this year? Unlikely. Well, what about Luzardo coming up as a reliever? Unlikely. And, you know, every time I asked him something about Lazard, it was unlikely. And Why? and Billy said the same thing, and I get it. You know what? That's their job. They're the ones that are supposed to be responsible. We can we can throw stuff out there. It's like, it's going to be very tempting. It's going to be tempting for them, no doubt about it. If but I guess we'll let, let's wait and see how the kid does it at Nashville. He's twenty, so uh, and he did have a bumpy start to his time in Midland. So uh, we might be getting way ahead of ourselves, but it is kind of fun to think about because he's got an absolute, as you saw, an electric arm. So. Um, and David did leave the door open uh, 
his last quote on the subject when he said, I, I don't think it's the best thing for him or the or the team right now. But he said, he said that might change on September 1st. Yeah, yeah, you never know. If they, they need to win one game or something, who knows what happens. Um, now, uh, with the, this Tommy John epidemic, now two more guys join with uh, Graveman and Gossett. What do you make of this? I mean, this is really baseball-wide. This is not A's-specific, uh, certainly, and the A's have been through sort of cycles where it happens a lot and kind of dies down, and then you wind up with another mother, another bunch of them. Well, what's your take on, on maybe what's going on with the A's specifically or, or with baseball in general? Well, it's a sad, uh, it's a sad story. It's, and, and I think a lot of the veterans, uh, talking to Tim Hudson, uh, a while back, and some of these young guys, and you know, everyone's got a different theory. The, the older guys say, you know what, these young guys play year-round baseball as kids, and they shouldn't. They should play basketball, football. They should do whatever. They but just don't play and throw hard baseballs every single month of the year. But then you talk to the young guys and say, well, guess what? That's the way. That was my ticket to the big leagues. I would not have become an accomplished pitcher if I didn't play year round in front of scouts and get a scholarship, you get signed and drafted and, and here I am. Yeah, I have Tommy John, but the ride was worth it because I made the big leagues. So there's a fine line between throwing your arm out at, at a young age versus preserving it. I mean, back in the day, nobody threw in the off season, you know, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, but um, you know, including kids, but now it's a year round process for, for these young potential major league pitchers when they're teenagers and even before. So it's, it's something that Stan Connie, we all know the former giants trainer, Dodgers trainer has done extensive studies with Tommy John and nobody knows more than, than he does, but it's, uh, it's unfortunate because we see just too many of them. And from Jared Parker to, to who had multiple to, um, it, it seems every young prospect seems to have to go through that. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think the, uh, you know, yes, it's our all around baseball, but, you know, I'd like to know the numbers. I'd like to do the research on this to see how the A's do compare because across the Bay, you don't see many giant prospects coming up who have Tommy John. And I spoke with Dave Rigetti about that in spring training. He, uh, he was kind of let go after the season last, uh, in September, October. And he said, well, hey, it's nothing, you know, I'm not taking any credit, but I'll just tell you what we did. You know, he talked about, and I'm sure Billy Bean and David Forrest do the same thing, just baby these kids throughout the minors. And then when they come up, all this long tossing, just, uh, but not too much. And um, anytime there's a day off, uh, you know, don't, um, don't have them skip a start. Don't have uh uh, somebody come out of the rotation so that the other four can pitch on regular rest. Always give him that extra day. He said he always did it with Kane and Bumgarner and Lincecum and all those guys. And, and you know, th- those fellas, you know, they didn't have Tommy John. Kane had some elbow issues. But you, you just can't get – I mean, there are just very few prospects in the Giants organization. And it might be luck more than anything. It just might be philosophy. I'm not sure because I'm not there every day. And I didn't see, you know, how the all these A's pitchers uh, got to the point. I mean, it's not like A.J. Puck was was throwing any more than anybody else. Right. And it's not like he uh, – so 
it, it, it happens, yeah, it's all around baseball, but it just seems to be hitting the A's a little bit more than than probably a lot of teams. Yeah, well, I think it's coincidental. I mean, when you look at the numbers, four seems like a lot, but it's actually, when you look at all major league pitchers, it's actually not. I think it's just coincidence. However, there there are a few common denominators. They, they The experts, like, you know, I read Jeff Passan's The Arm, as many people did, uh, which is a great book if you're further interested in, in uh, UCL repair and, and what goes on with the pitcher's arms. But the common denominator, the main one, is it mostly happens to guys who throw very hard. It's a wear and tear injury. Um, you know, any sort of ligament tear tends to be wear and tear. Um, and the harder you throw, the more stress you're putting on that ligament. Uh, and to me, you know, you look at the timing of the, the A's, uh, injuries very early in the season to young guys who are all either trying to make an impression or make the team. And when you think, well, it's related to throwing hard and wear and tear, you know, if you're going out and you're trying to throw that little extra and press to win a spot or do a little better, uh, and you're throwing maybe harder than you should. Maybe that's when, when things are, are kind of going wrong. The A's had all those rotation spots kind of up for grabs, and I, I think maybe that wound up hurting some guys. I think they were uh, early in the season just maybe trying to do a little too hard. That's my, you know, pop uh, orthopedist kind of take on it, and, and obviously I don't have any sort of medical expertise other than to know that it's related to throwing hard and wear and tear. So uh, maybe that has something to do with it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it really is... It really makes even more amazing what the A's are doing now. The fact that they've had, they essentially have a full rotation on the DL with Tommy John surgery. Um, now, one of the really bright spots uh, of the many bright spots for the A's recently, I mean, we could uh, talk about the month Chris Davis had, which was spectacular, um, but Matt Chapman. Seems like he's really coming to his own. We know he's, he. I mean, the numbers show it. He's the best, not just defensive third baseman in baseball right now. He's the best overall defensive player in baseball. And his bat is starting to catch up with the fielding. Uh, 18 games straight he's been on base. He's hitting over 350 in that time. Uh, showing some power, driving a lot of runs, scoring a ton of runs. He led the majors in runs scored in, in July. Uh, I think we might be seeing sort of the emergence of a, of a potential superstar in the Bay Area. What, what have, have been your thoughts from what you've seen of Matt Chapman this month? Yeah, I agree. I think we should stop just looking at him as a defender only. I mean, that's the way we used to look at Brandon Crawford, but uh, this guy has a lot more power, a lot more pop than Brandon Crawford, who took a long time to evolve as a hitter. It was always uh, no no hit all field and then he became a, a really good hitter especially a couple of years ago and and early this season and i see chapman kind of in the same vein in, in that he you know his, his glove and his pop got him to the big leagues but his, his glove really from day one was was gold glove caliber but the you know, the hitting side had to grow on him in terms of limiting strikeouts, learning the strike zone, learning the pitchers, the ballparks, and the the, the whole on-base thing. That's so important for a guy who cannot strike out a lot. And the same ought to be said of Olsen. Uh, you know, you just can't keep striking out so much. you got to put the ball in play because uh, you just never know what happens. That's an old theory. You know, they always say, well, a ground ball out – it's just as bad as a strikeout. Well, no, it's not because you can have an error. You can 
you can have a, a tweener, you can have some kind of funky thing in baseball. You, anytime you can hit the ball, it's much better than, than missing the ball. It's common sense. And and with Chapman, I think he's finally getting it. But but I still am amazed at his defense and this game Tuesday night, a couple of plays, just blew me away. It's like you, I, I just want to see the replay 10, 15 times. I mean, when they had the shift on Solarte and – he was really playing shortstop and the bouncer down the line at third and he ranged all the way over to his old position at third base and threw off balance just a rocket to first base and beat Salarte by three steps. And Familia, it was the final out. He, all he could do was just lift his cap and say, you're amazing, man. And Olsen was just like frozen in time. He, I, I can't believe I was part of this play. I caught the ball, but I, what I saw is, is just not right. And, and Melvin's great quote about uh, – you know, you usually you can't even see that in in, in video games because uh, in video games it hasn't it, they don't even have that play in video games because it's so unusual. But uh, and, and he also charged a bunt and threw on the run. I mean, the the guy the guy saves runs, and I guess that stat there are a lot of weird stats uh, out there defensively, and the metrics I disagree with a whole lot of them. But I don't think I can disagree with the fact that he might be the best defender in the league, if not baseball. I mean, there, I think there's there's no doubt about that when you look at the numbers. It's it's really, really staggering. Now, the, the you mentioned the A's upcoming schedule. They're at home most of the month of August, but they also start back up against the AL West. They're starting to turn their record around a little bit, but as we know, early in the season, uh, they really struggled against AL West teams, including Seattle. They've got seven against Seattle coming up this month. Um, Seattle, as always, <laughs> made quite a number of moves. Houston made some some moves. What What are your impressions of uh, where these uh, two other top teams in the AL West are right now and, and what the road ahead looks like for the A's? Well, I, uh, I like I said earlier in the podcast, I think the A's are a better team than the Mariners, and I – I mean, just looking at some basic stats, basic team stats, they're pretty much across the board. The, the A's are better in terms of, I mean, Seattle is just not a super team in anything they do, whether it's hitting or ERA or bullpen or, I mean, you look at it and it's all mediocre. I mean, in the American League, which has 15 teams, right? They're they're 12th in runs and and 10th in home runs and 8th in OPS. Nothing nothing stand out. Then you would say, well, they must have all this great pitching. Well, you know, they do have a couple of good starters and a very nice uh, closer. But on on average, it's nothing special. They're 7th out of 15 teams in ERA. And they're they're 10th in strikeouts. They're they're 9th in batting average against. So it's they really are nothing special. And and that goes for the rotation ERA and, and the bullpen ERA. They're, you know, it's not like they're top five in anything. But the A's are top five. They're they're top five in runs. They're top five in OPS. They're top five in in home runs. They're top five in in um, uh, bullpen ERA in the American League. So it, it, across the board, the A's are a better team, and maybe they, they should have all along been been ahead of Seattle. But Seattle did beef up. You know, at the deadline, they got uh, three relievers and uh, uh, Maven to be a backup in the outfield. But in uh, it's it's something they probably had to do. I mean, every team, like I said, there were twenty five relievers exchanging uh, teams in in July. So uh, Seattle did as well as anybody. But 
Houston, I don't know. I mean, Houston, um, you know, they they did bring in uh, Roberto Asuno, and we, as we know of him, he was he had the domestic violence uh, issue, and he was arrested, and the court case is pending, and Houston didn't have to do this. They were good enough uh, to move on without somebody like this. They had all these relievers, all these closers available, and he's the guy they picked. And uh, I think it's unfortunate for the Astros because uh, I think they're better than that. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't like that as a move. And uh, it was interesting watching them contort themselves trying to explain and and justify bringing in somebody who's uh, been suspended for domestic. Uh, violence and uh, what sounded like a fairly um, uh, serious case. Um, John, it's going to be such an interesting upcoming week or two here. Uh, I hope we wouldn't have you back on very soon and get more of your thoughts on the A's and what's going on around the league. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's do it, Susan. Thanks a lot. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.